verse 24, and then we're going to be looking specifically at verses 15 to 24. It's this dinner that Jesus was invited to with the Pharisee. And um, I think two minutes into this dinner, the Pharisee would have wished that he hadn't invited Jesus. But it's recorded here for us, and let's learn from this experience. Luke chapter 14, verse 1. It happened that when Jesus went into the house of one of the leaders of the Pharisees on the Sabbath to eat bread, they were watching him closely. And there in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. And Jesus answered and spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they kept silent. And he took hold of him and healed him and sent him away. And Jesus said to them, Which one of you will have a son or an ox fall into a well and will not immediately pull him out on a Sabbath day? And they could make no reply to this. And Jesus began speaking a parable to the invited guests when he noticed how they had been picking out the places of honor at the table, saying to them, When you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this man. And then in disgrace you proceed to occupy the least place. But when you are invited, go and recline at the last place, so that when the one who has invited you comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will have honor in the sight of all who are at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And he also went on to say to the one who had invited him, And when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors. Otherwise, they may invite you in return, and that will be your repayment. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, since they do not have the means to repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those who were reclining at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But Jesus said to him, A man was giving a big dinner, and he invited many. And at the dinner hour he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a piece of land, and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I am going to try them out. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I have married a wife, and for that reason I cannot come. That's the best reason, I think. And the slave came back and reported this to his master. Then the head of the household became angry and said to his slave, Go out at once into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the slave said, Master, what you commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the slave, Go out into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in so that my house may be full. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited 
shall taste of my dinner. The word dismissal in the English dictionary says, it's the act of treating something as unworthy of serious consideration or to reject. Dismissal. If you know about Facebook, you receive a Facebook invitation, right? Please be at that and that party or whatever it says and then you've got two buttons, the one set, no, three buttons, the one accept, not sure and then decline, right? Well, I'm sure you've had that come to you before. How often, tell me if you're honest, how often have you pressed the accept button and then thought, they'll feel better? Or maybe you've had good intentions to go, but you've kind of forgotten about it, haven't written it up in your diary and the date's come and gone. You haven't given a second thought. What Jesus is spelling out here to these Pharisees is that sometimes our attitude towards God is dismissive. So let's see how he does that in this address to this man who has this outburst to Jesus. He's heard all the teaching Jesus has given about religion. Your religion as Pharisees is lifeless. You are compassionless. You are compassionless as the leaders of Israel. He spoke to them about their self-centeredness when they were choosing the best seats in the house, which was the opposite of humility. He'd spoken to them at this dinner about looking only to their own needs and using other people like chess pieces to gain something out of people. And in response, there's this outburst from this man. And he says, Lord, won't it be great when one day we can sit in fellowship in the kingdom of God together? Now, some people have looked at him and they thought, wow, he must have been meaning it. But was he really? You see, if we look at what Jesus says next, we realize Jesus has read his heart. And that's why Jesus tells this next parable, is to warn this man that there's an attitude in him, that there's an assumption in him which is false. And that assumption we know now is that this man was basing his assumption on being at that great feast one day in heaven. He was basing that assumption on the fact that he was a Jew, saved by God, one of God's own because he's part of the Jewish nation. And many of those Pharisees would have had that same assumption in them, because they were part of God's people, they would be saved. But Jesus points out that, no, that's not enough. There's something else that has to happen. Let's look at what he says. You see, this assumption was around in so many of the people of that day. They'd heard the Old Testament prophets warning them that they needed to come into a living relationship with Jehovah God. That they couldn't just rely on being Jews, God's people, His chosen people, to show the rest of the nations of the earth how to have a relationship with God. It wasn't enough just to be part of that nation. They had to come into a living and an obedient relationship with God Himself. Otherwise, they would not be seated at the feast with Moses and the great leaders. And so Jesus tells this parable. And as he tells this parable, he's breaking down the last of the bricks of this wall that these Pharisees had up between them and him. This wall of religious works. This wall of religious beliefs. Jesus breaks down the last brick. The brick of being 
a Jew and thinking that will get you to heaven. And so he tells this parable of this great feast in verse 16. He says, a rich man was giving a big dinner and so he sent out invitations to many. Now, we need to understand something about the Eastern mindset here and the way they did things. They used to send out two invitations. One went out by messengers and sometimes on paper, inviting people to a feast on a specific day and round about a certain time. It wasn't quite like our day, you see. When we give feasts, we can prepare it down to the millisecond, right? Because I can go to the supermarket, I can go and get the food I need, I can put it in the freezer, and when I need it, I defrost it, I get it all ready, and so we can nearly synchronize watches. And then the guests will pitch up, usually a little bit fashionably late, right? Well, in Jesus' day, it wasn't quite like that. You see, oxen had to be slaughtered. There was no supermarket. The, the grain had to be ground, flour had to be made if you couldn't buy it on the market, pre-made. And that all took time. And if, like is indicated here, a man prepared a great dinner, that means a lot of preparation went in. And so they sent out a double invitation. Come on that day, around about then, we will send our messengers when it's ready. So now you can understand what happens, you see. And so this man invited all these people to the feast. And our text says he invited many. So obviously he was a well-off person. And he invited many guests to this great feast. He gave them advance warning. No pressure to come. You come or you don't come. And so in our day he would have sent out his Facebook invitations and many would have pressed accept. Alright? You all got that now? Great. So what do they do? At the appointed hour, says verse 17, the host sent out his slaves to call the people in. And so these slaves went out to all the invited guests and they would say, yes, you can come now. It's ready. The master says, come now. And the, the general tradition was you would then go with the slave and they would accompany you back to the, to the home of the master. But when these servants come to the, to the homes of these invited guests, they get this barrage of excuses. And the text specifically says, if you look at verse 17, what does it say? It says, sorry, verse 18, but they all alike began to make excuses. Now Jesus uses a teaching technique here of, he overstates it, because he's trying to emphasize the point here. He's saying all these guests had been invited, they'd all said yes, because none had sent back a slave saying, no, we won't make it. So they were all expected the feast had been prepared, the oxen had been slaughtered for a certain number of people, and now, when they're supposed to come, now they are saying, we can't make it anymore. Do you see the, do you see the rudeness of it? There were some of these leaders who would not come to a feast if they didn't receive two invitations. That's how pompous they were. Josephus records this, that there were some religious leaders, Josephus says that, religious leaders, the leaders of the nation, who would not come to these feasts unless they had been invited twice. And so this message comes to some of these religious leaders. And they've received their two invitations, and now on the third time the slave comes and says, come. And they too are saying, 
Sorry, we can't make it. Do you see the slap in the face to the host? And in the Eastern mindset, this was an extreme slap in the face. So what are some of these good excuses they used? I love these. First one said in verse 18, I've just bought a field and I need to go and view it. Now in the Eastern mindset as well, buying a field was not just looking it up on Trade Me and pressing buy and then getting the agent to do the rest and the lawyer. No, it was quite a process. You would go, you would look at it, you would sit down, you would talk. And if you know anything about Jewish negotiation, there'd be a lot of here in the negotiation, right? And um, so they would go and look again and try and bring the price down and then talk and then go and look again and talk until they sat down together and sandals were taken off. That means an agreement was coming to. Alright? And once that's done, it's fixed. But here this man has bought a field and now he's going to go and look at it. Do you understand? It's completely contrary to what they usually do. That's why it's seen as a completely no excuse. How can you buy without going to look at a field? doesn't make sense. In other words, you just make an excuse. So obvious. Another man bought oxen. He bought five yoke of oxen. Now, if you can do maths, five and five is ten, because a yoke is two. So he bought ten oxen. And so he says, when this invitation comes, the servant is there to take him with to the feast. He says, no, hang on, hang on. I've got to go and road test my oxen. Now, who would buy ten oxen and you haven't gone to look at them at all? Only a fool would. But this man says, no, I want to go and try them now. And the, the thing is, couldn't he just have gone a little later after the feast? Maybe the next day? I mean, are the oxen going to die? No. Do you see the excuse? Not valid. And then the last one, verse 20, says, I've married a wife and therefore I can't come. Now, you need to understand that Genesis 24, verse 5, in the first year that you were married, you were given excuse from military duty and any other civic duties for a whole year, right? We wish it was still like that. I could spend a whole year with my wife and just go out and go to the movies. They were given off from military and public duties. Now, this, this servant comes to the man and he says, no, look, I've got to spend time with my wife, right? What's he doing? He's using his wife as an excuse. How gallant. You see, not valid. And Jesus is making use of these excuses to show the Pharisees something. We'll see what that is now. You see, all the excuses were not acceptable. Never mind in any circumstance. Not now when the servant is about to take you to the feast. How can you have these excuses? Now, I just want to speak in brackets like Paul. All right? There's nothing wrong with buying property. I just want to state that because some false teaching has come from this. You shouldn't buy property. You shouldn't get married. There's all kinds of things. All right? Because it's bad. Jesus said it's bad. No, he didn't. It's not bad. But when good things deter us from doing what God has asked us to do, then they become bad. Do you get the difference? When good things, which are usually good, get in the way of us serving God obediently, then those good things become bad. Close bracket.
You see, Jesus was directly challenging these Pharisees in the room. They had all their ducks in a row when it comes to religion. They had all their ducks in a row when it came to supposedly leading the nation before the Lord. But they were dismissive of Jesus and His truth and that method. Jesus had invited them many, many times into the kingdom. But they were rejecting Him constantly. And that mattered. And so Jesus confronts them at this dinner. They were religious but not righteous. And so He carries on. And they would have recognized what He was doing because they heard these two words, feast and excuses. And when they heard the word feast, they knew that Jesus was referring to the prophets and the prophets' warnings to the nation constantly through their history that they need to come to the Lord and have this relationship with Him. And they would have known that the prophets hadn't been heeded to and they themselves were guilty of the same sin. Jesus pointed this out to them a little earlier. They would have recognized this. And so Jesus carries on with this parable of His. Look at the host. We now have the reaction of the host, verses 20. 21. And the slave came back and reported this to his master, these excuses. Now, look at the master's reaction. Do you blame him? And the the, the head of the household became angry. Now, was he sinning here? No, he was righteously angry. He had invited people. They said yes. He'd gone through all this preparation and now... On number 99, these people say no. You see? Jesus had been there his whole time with these Pharisees, teaching in front of them, teaching in the synagogues, and yet they were still saying no. Do you see that he could have righteous anger? Look at this host. He gives instructions to his servants. Go out and bring in those who are weak, the cripple, those who haven't as much as we do. Uh, Verse uh, uh, 21. Go out at once into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Now what Jesus is referring to here was, those would have been Jewish people. The Jewish people's poor, the lame, the cripple, those who didn't have money. And those are the ones that the nation is supposed to look after. But they weren't looking after their own poor. And so this, this man is saying, the host is saying, go and fetch the people of our community who we usually supposed to look after, those that haven't got enough, and bring them in. The not good enough ones, bring them in. The look down upon ones, bring them in so that they can feast in my home. You see what he's doing? And so the servants come back and they say, Master, we've done this and there's still room. And now look what he says. He says, well, look, go out into the countryside, further out. Go out of Jerusalem, go out of the city and go and fetch those who are staying in the hedges, out on the roads. Who would those have been in the Jewish era? They would have been the Gentiles. They would have been the lepers, the untouchables. They would have been out there in the country. The ones who weren't allowed to come into town. The Samaritans. Go and fetch them. Because I want them to take part in this feast of mine. Do you see the generous heart of this host? 
And when the Pharisees heard this, go and fetch those from the far reaches, they would have known what Jesus is speaking about here because there's another analogy he's using and we don't necessarily pick it up, but they would have. And what was that? Jesus is speaking about Gentiles here. Invite them in. Now, a Jewish leader would never have a Gentile in his home. He would never have a Samaritan in his home. And yet here this host is saying, bring in the lepers, the untouchables, those who are unclean, bring them into my home. And they would have been referring in their minds to the mystery which was spoken of right throughout the Old Testament. The mystery which the prophets spoke about where one day God would say, let the word go out to the Gentiles and I will form my church, the church of the New Testament. They would have known that was what he was speaking about. That mystery which was later revealed of the Gentiles and the Jews becoming God's people together. What does he say to them? He says, compel them to come in. Now, let's not miss this. He's not saying, you go beat them over the head with a big King James Bible until they listen. No. It's not like Islam says, if you don't say these specific words and become a Muslim, we'll kill you. It's not that. You see, this has been misunderstood. It was misunderstood in the Crusades. Because many of the crusaders went into the cities that they were conquering and they wanted to force people to become Christians by the edge of the sword. It's because of this. But they were misunderstanding. You see, when when the, the host says, compel them to come in, he's saying to them, go and tell them about my goodness. Go and tell them that there's food here for everyone, that I want everyone in my home. And when they understand my heart for them, that will compel them to come in. So tell them about me. Do you see what Jesus is saying? In our evangelism today, isn't that what we should be doing? Instead of standing on a street corner and preaching to thin air and using old English that people can't understand anymore, maybe we should be telling them about the love of Jesus Christ for them. And in such terms, and when they see how we care for them, that they can't help but be drawn to the Master. We are compelling them to come in because of His love. You see the difference? Compel them to come in. Romans chapter 9 verses 22 to 29 spells this out for us. Sorry, um, in Romans chapter 9 and Romans chapter 11, the Bible spells out to us how great God's love is, that He loved His Jewish nation so much that he brought in a remnant of them he would save. But that's not all. He would also send the word out to the Gentiles in the New Testament under Paul and various of the apostles. And the gospel would go out and many Gentiles and others, Samaritans, would come in and hear the gospel message. And they would be saved. Do you see the generous heart of God? Go and read up on the church in Romans chapter 9 and Romans 11. But in Galatians 3.28, this is what it says. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your grace at work. We can be saved. Not one has to be left out. You see, this invitation is open to anyone, anywhere. His kingdom is open 
to anyone. And you might feel like you're one of those unloved ones in society. You might feel like you're one of those ones that people keep looking down on. You might feel like one of those rejected ones in society. The Lord says here through this passage that His kingdom is open for anyone to come in. There will not be an excuse for anyone not to come. His invitation is open to anyone. The Lord is not slow about His promise, says Second Peter, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Can you hear any exclusion clauses? Anything? He's open to anyone to come to Him. But we need to come. And then there's a warning, as Jesus always brings out. You see, there's a decision to be made. I either accept what Jesus says and follow Him, or I reject Him. There's a warning here if you do reject. Verses 24, this is what it says. I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my dinner. This invitation has gone out to many all over the world. His creation speaks about Him. Hebrews tells us that. Jesus Christ came. He's brought the message in the New Testament times. Apostles have gone out. Missionaries have gone out. Pastors are preaching this gospel. The gospel is out there. And if you choose to reject Jesus Christ, these are the consequences. He says, you will not taste of His feast one day. You will not. There is no one who will slip into heaven by mistake. Jesus is not going to make an exception clause just for you because you're such a good person. If you do not put your faith in Jesus Christ, you will not sit at the feast of the Lamb. That's the warning. It's not me. It's Scripture. And so I pray for every single one of you here, and there's some here, and I know who've been coming to this church for many years, and you still do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. Once again, the invitation goes out. It doesn't matter how many years you've been at Wanganui East Baptist Church. If you do not accept Jesus Christ personally as your Savior, you will not sit at the feast of the Lamb. I can't do more than that. The Spirit has to do the rest in you. Come to the Lord. Be saved. Matthew chapter 8 verse 11 to 12 says this, I say to you that many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom, that's this kingdom on this earth, Satan's kingdom, will be cast out into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And that was a double word there. When Jesus spoke there about the sons of the kingdom, He was speaking to those Jewish men in front of Him. He was saying to them too, and it doesn't matter whether you call yourself a son of the kingdom, you too will be cast into outer darkness if you do not take heed of My words. It can't be clearer. It can't be sterner. And so, we need to get to the application and I have a few that I want to put to you this morning. And the first one is this. Jesus' invitation is wide. 
His arms are wide. He says to everyone, come. Whether you Jew, Gentile, not good enough, unlikely one, you are invited. How do we know that? Because later Jesus said this, God so loved, listen to this, the, the God so loved the world, if you're sitting on this globe, that's you. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That, are you listening? That whoever, there's no one excluded there, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. And so the question to you this morning is, have you personally accepted His invitation to enter His house of feasting? Have you accepted? It's a yes or a no. There's no maybe button here. It's yes or no. And if you've accepted Jesus' invitation as a believer, are you making preparations to attend? There's a second application here, and it's this. I'll try and put it gently. What's your excuse? If you say no to Jesus Christ, what is your excuse? Is that gentle? You see, are you being dismissive to the Son of God? Are you? What lame excuses are we going to come up with next? I don't need God. Well, I don't understand about, and you can just fill in the blank now. And that's why I'm not coming to Jesus Christ. Or, what about all the hypocrites that are sitting in churches? That's why I'm not going to become a Christian like them. Or, what about, I'll become a Christian later. I'm going to sow my wild oats. I'm going to enjoy life. I'm going to do my big OE and then I'll come to the Lord. Is that your excuse? Are you being dismissive of the Son of God? And if you're a believer here, you've accepted His invitation, does your life now show that you've accepted it? You've been invited to the supper. You've been invited to the feast of the Lamb. Are you getting ready to go? How do we get ready? Are we taking out his message to those in the world who've also been invited to the unlikely ones, to the unclean ones, to the rejected ones, or are we just staying inside our little comfortable little circles? Do we go out of our comfort zone and speak to those who are the untouchables, the disliked? How many of you have gone this last week? Anyone? You see, our command is this, go into all the world and preach the good news. All the world means all the world, right? And we need to compel them to come in by speaking about how much God loves them, right? We speak about sin, but in contrast, well, I've said this how many times from this pulpit, where there's judgment, there's mercy. We always speak about both, because if they don't understand about, about mercy, how will they understand about Judgment. That's got to be the one and the other, you see. And that's not all as believers. What are your priorities like? You're on your way to the feast, right? You've said yes. What are your priorities like? Your obedience. 
Are you coming up with excuses about oxen and about property and about getting married and all kinds of other excuses we come up with for not serving the Lord obediently? What's your excuse? You see, the Lord's not going to leave this. Next week we're coming back to a next section, I'm sorry to say. And it's about counting the cost. It's all tidy, you see. If you're a believer here today, there is a cost to saying yes to coming to the, this feast. J.C. Ryle, a famous dead guy, said this. He said, infidelity and immorality, no doubt, slay their thousands. But decent Plausible, smooth-spoken excuses slay their tens of thousands. Are you one of those? And then thirdly, and lastly, I want to end with a warning as well. And the warning is this. You've either accepted or rejected the invitation of Jesus Christ. You must face the consequences you have chosen. To the unbeliever, if you press the button that says decline, the consequences are this. John chapter 3. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than the light. For their deeds were evil. For everyone who hates evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. If you've pressed decline to the invitation of Jesus Christ, then you have chosen your consequences. But there is still time to change your mind because the Son of Man hasn't reappeared. There is still time. But how long will you delay? And if you're a believer, here's a warning for us too. We face the consequences we have chosen for living in disobedience as invited guests. You see, you've said as a believer, yes Lord, I will be there. But are you preparing yourself to meet with this great Lord? Are you living a life of loving obedience to Him? And can the world see through your life that He lives? I want to read you the open invitation from Revelation. This is what Revelation says. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. Now, without getting into eschatology here, the Bride is the church collected, the, ch the church collective of Jesus Christ, the new Jerusalem of Christ. The Spirit and the Bride, the Spirit and the collective church say, come. Let anyone who hears us say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty, come. Let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. You see, as unbelievers and as believers, what is at the top of your priority list? Is it to be obedient to the Lord? Or is it to live your own life and to reject? What are your priorities? Let the Lord do His work through His Spirit in us. Let's pray. 
Lord, our Heavenly Father, Your Word goes out. And as You've promised in Your Word, it will not return to You void until it has achieved the purposes You have for it. Lord, I pray, achieve those purposes. May Your Word go out into believers' hearts and into unbelievers' hearts. And may it do May it do its work there. May it bring conviction. And may it bring life. And may you be glorified, our holy God. Amen.